Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. Mike Erie here with my very special friend, very special friend, Kevin Number 2. Say hello, Kevin. Hello. Why Why do you say special every time? Well, because they're among the Kevins. Okay. Each has a unique role. Okay. Kevin Number 1 is number one in my heart. There's there's utterly no And that's fine. About I don't that. want to be number one. No. But Kevin Number 2, I mean, there's a... There's a camaraderie. It's it's a peer. It's more of a peer relationship, and so special. It is special. Perfect in in the in the my realm of Kevin's. I'm okay so, with this definition. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, welcome to the Vox Podcast. Uh, Vox is Latin for voice, and um, we want to do our best to represent Jesus's voice to the world. Uh, we think Jesus is God's voice to the world, and so if you want to know what God is like or what God is thinking. Um, or doing, or what God prioritizes, you look at Jesus, and that gives you the picture of of what God is like. And so, we often, uh, very often, engage with current topics. There's there's so much fodder for conversation, not just in biblical theology, but um, in cultural movements. Um, and uh, and Kevin number two, of course, it kind of has his pulse on the culture as a coffee salesperson. And so this is a man who eats and sleeps and breathes coffee, literally, because he loves it. The word drink might be more appropriate. And drinks it. There you go. Yeah, but you breathe coffee after you drink it in in the sense that coffee breath is a real menace. Coffee breath is one of the greatest things that God has given us. That is false. True. Um, I, I, I don't think so. So yes, certainly caffeinated people seem... To be happier in the morning, no question about that. But there's like they need the cone of space because the coffee breath's usually really bad. I just want I want you to so if you come up with a roast that not only caffeinates, tastes great, and refreshes breath, then you're onto something. Until yeah, I then, think, I think the combination though of unbrushed teeth and coffee breath is probably what you're used to nope, smelling. Nope, maybe nope. Nope. No? All right, I don't well. think so. I mean, I'm assuming most people brush their teeth in the morning. Ah, we'll really? See. That would be an interesting know. survey. I don't know. Yeah, you should do a survey. All right. So um, we've got a couple of great, great questions. Um, so this one, this one is from, I'm going to call her Betty. Nice old school uh, name. Uh, but she has been a longtime listener and it's someone I, I think I've met before. And uh, she is reacting to the the Kavanaugh podcast uh, we did with Nicole, uh, who you know. Yes, Nicole, um, great friend. Yep. Long so time. so I just listened to a majority of your recent podcast regarding Kavanaugh and the Me Too movement. So anytime it starts with, I listen to a majority of it, it means it was so disappointing I turned it off somewhere along the way. <clears throat> and she said, I'm just sad. I have been such a fan of your teaching. You have a gift of teaching the scriptures. You've been such a blessing over the years. Thank you for that. But I got to tell you, the conversation you had just makes me sad. To be clear, I'm completely, and I've edited this, I'm completely heartbroken over the numerous girls and women who have encountered sexual abuse. Abuse. It's horrific. I wish someone would write a book about here's what the sexual revolution, the porn industry, and the oversexed free sex culture has given us. It is horrible. Uh, But here's what makes me sad about your podcast. To lump Justice Kavanaugh into the mix with all sexual predators automatically assuming Dr. Ford's accusations are true just because she came forward and is a woman is so not all caps the way to solve this issue. 
I know your guest, referring to Nicole, gave you some stunning statistics, that's absolutely true, and made the point to say, because it's more likely that women will be attacked than it is for men to be falsely accused, we should always believe the woman. Um, Betty writes, this can't be the solution. This is where the left, and it's capitalized, so political left, is taking a terrible situation and making it worse. Believe women, are women always above lying in my life, I've seen and encountered and been friends with women who liars stretch the truth or falsely assign faces to memories for all kinds of reasons. Um, all humans, regardless of gender, race, age, or any other grouping, can lie. And and as 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 someone who falls into those categories, I I agree that I can lie as well. Um, uh, how can we move the pendulum that far? to say we automatically believe any accusations. Shouldn't we believe evidence? What about innocent until proven guilty? Your guest only ever referred to Dr. Ford as brave and courageous. What if she is actually deceptive? The truth is we don't know. I agree that covering up all the abuse in the church is so destructive, and I am happy uh, to see light being brought into dark places and helping so many girls. But please don't be misled by the left. They have no intention of helping women. They know about the accusation against Kavanaugh months ago and sat on it for political gain, also throwing her under the bus. A woman could say anything about a man, and it's automatically believed. That's terrifying. So I guess my biggest point is, please don't forget, just because you don't like our president or because sexual sin in all of its forms is such a problem, anyone and everyone is capable of lying or of confusion or of all kinds of things. Women are just as susceptible as men to sin. We cannot solve this issue by believing a gender group, even if that gender has suffered at the hands of the other gender. Just because there's more women being assaulted than there are men being falsely accused doesn't mean that a man's life should be forever ruined. Each case has to be looked at individually. Giant group statistics cannot be a factor. We must believe evidence. Thank you for caring about people the way you do. I would just ask that you look at all the ways the left tries to use and manipulate things for their own good. You've done a good job of looking at how the right does it, not automatically coming to their conclusions just because you don't like Trump any more than they do. I'd love to hear your response to this. Boom. Boom. Now, now, if this was a guy writing this, I, I wouldn't. You know, I'd, I'd answer it privately, probably. Um, but because it's a young lady uh, 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 bringing this issue up, I thought this perspective needs to be heard, too, because there is this thing floating around now called him to a hashtag now that's about, well, you know, what about believing men? And to, and to me, and, and again, I, I'm in over my head here. This is, I, I'm not an expert on any of this. Um, I, I was molested when I was four years old. I have no memory of that. I just have memory of some of the effects of that when I was young, but I have no memory of, of that issue. So I don't, I don't, I can't relate to what it must have been like for people to have been sexually assaulted and aware that they're being sexually assaulted and all of those horrific things. So I'm in over my head, no question about it. And I could be woefully naive. Um, so, so first of all, thank you for sharing your perspective. This is, this is the kind of community we want Vox to be a kind of community where we can respectfully wrestle through things together. Um, the reason I wanted Nicole to be on was as a survivor, um, and, and I've, and I've seen this on uh, a lot of social media, people were just saying that they were being re-traumatized through this whole Kavanaugh 
experience. And so my question to her wasn't about the truth uh, of the matter. The issue was, and, and, and if you'll notice, I asked her very specifically, how is she hearing this? How is she experiencing this? Um, I didn't want to get into whether or not the accusations are true or false, because no question it's politicized, of course, and it's politicized by both sides. You know, so either um, she com- she's coming forward, she's being funded, she's making this up, or she was sexually assaulted, but not by Kavanaugh, which, you know, it would be a crazy scenario, or Kavanaugh is a sociopath, and we have no idea, uh, and he just flat out is lying, Um and the whole anger show was just a, you know, just a show. I mean, who knows? I have no idea. I know the thing's been horribly politicized. And so, to, but, but to me, this is less about Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford and more about uh, how do we begin to demonstrate repentance as a culture and as the church towards women who have not been believed who have been telling the truth. How do we shift um, in our ability to listen, to hear, to respectfully engage with women who are now coming forward, who have felt suffocated, who have felt gaslighted, who have felt talked down to, condescended, whatever else, when they when they uh, initially came forward with accusations, or because they knew the response they'd get, they don't come forward at all. How do we as a culture begin? Um, to course correct and and live in repentance. And so for me, what the conversation is less about whether or not Justice Kavanaugh was guilty or not guilty or Dr. Ford uh, was guilty or not guilty. The, cam- the conversation that I wanted to have is how do we begin to listen to survivors, to treat them with dignity and respect um, in, in a non-court of law situation? So, of course, innocent till proven guilty refers to court of law. No question about that. But how in, in this Me Too era should we as Jesus followers begin um, to, to follow the ways of Jesus, to uh, emulate Jesus's grace. I mean, all those sorts of things uh, in this culture. So what I wanted was Nicole to give her perspective as a survivor about how she was hearing this, because what she's picking up on are th- are the same strands, the same comments. I mean, it's not like it's not like the Republicans were were not cheap shotting, um, you know, Doctor Ford left and right too. I mean, both sides were just so mired in guilt, and that's why I'm like, ah, I don't. I'm with you on don't be a pawn of the left, okay, but but I don't I don't think having an honest conversation about that is being a pawn of the left. I actually think it's part of the church's responsibility to become a safe place because the church has been a place in Nicole's story where sexual assault actually took place, right? Not it didn't take place in the church, but it involved the church. And um, it involved kind of the polish and the and the policing of kind of Christian morality and the way in which we often pretend. So I do think as Jesus followers, we have to walk into this messy scenario, knowing it's been politicized both directions, and saying, well, yes, on the one hand, um, the scriptures do talk about not entertaining an accusation against an elder unless there are um, two eyewitnesses. That comes from the book of Deuteronomy. And on the other hand, 
uh, the church is to be a people of truth, a people of repentance, a people of grace, a people of light, a people of of reality, right? I mean, and so so we should be believing people when they come forward with with uh, horrendous accusations, um, and we also should believe people when they deny those accusations. And the question becomes, well, how do you fit both of those together? Correct, Kevin? Do you have thoughts? Correct. <laughs> You asked me a yes or no question. I responded with correct. Kevin, do you have thoughts? Uh, I do have thoughts. Lots of them. I think the one thing interesting maybe even to point out in Nicole's story specifically, uh, I've heard her speak a number of times, and she always, always, always uh, mentions that when she came forward and told her mom that her mom believed her. Mm-hmm. And so it was just interesting, I think, to hear her talk about that. She kind of went on about what is it, what does yeah. it look like or what could it have looked like if she would not have been believed. And right. I know a number of friends whose similar situations and the yep. mom has not believed. Yeah. And so that's that I think Nicole was speaking out of personal experience of being believed. And yep. obviously uh, we know know the, the end of the story there. But um yeah, I think I think it, it isn't a political. It wasn't a political conversation. It wasn't a, a Dr. Ford's right. Dr. Kavanaugh's wrong. Well, well, but Betty is saying yes because of the way Nicole was referring to Dr. Ford as courageous and whatever else. But I, but I think that I think that um, uh, what I was fascinated by was the way Nicole was watching the whole thing unfold. Absolutely, and so. Um, and, and that's what I was trying to get. I wasn't trying to get into whether it was true or false or a political conversation. Yeah, I don't think I heard that at all. Well, Betty did, and so yeah. that that matters. Yeah, absolutely. And and these are legitimate legitimate points. Absolutely. So so I want to answer this a couple of different ways. One uh, is as a Jesus follower, um, and and as somebody who wants to be um, uh, uh, and and be a part of a community that speaks truth. Uh, there has to be a place where people are utterly and absolutely safe to share their stories, even if they're ugly, even mm-hmm. if they're accusations. Absolutely. They're, they're, and the church should be leading the way because, I mean, we believe in sin, so we're not shocked. We believe in grace, right? So we never give up. Right. And and we believe that that like there's real redemption, that you don't always have to be what you were. Mm-hmm. And so so that mix. Uh, of believing and practicing should create a place where people can actually um, share the deepest, darkest things, and it should be it should the church should be, as we say, the safest place to talk about anything. Um, when it comes to accusations that result in consequences, well, of course, then we're talking about. Um, we're talking about due process. We're talking about getting legal institutions or uh, law enforcement institutions involved, all of those sorts of things. But I do think it's possible to, to take seriously a woman's account of her sexual assault and create an environment where that, that person is going to be believed and empathized with, that person is going to be uh, welcomed and um, strengthened and encouraged. And at the same time, um, we are going to engage as best we can to to try to you know uh, prove or falsify the story. However, it works if if there's a contrasting story being thrown back by whoever the accused is. I mean, the scripture insists that um, that there is such a thing as false accusation, no question about it. But at the same time, um, the the overwhelming overwhelming testimony we're receiving in culture and in the church is that there has been this massive area 
of violence against women and degradation against women that has not been ignored. And so I think I think we do need to overcorrect a bit. And I do think the benefit, I, I don't think women should no longer receive the usual treatment of, well, we're just not going to believe you. How could this person ever do it? I mean, we were saying that about Bill Hybels, right? When when all this uh, all this came out about Bill Hybels at Willow Creek, it was like, are you kidding me? This guy's amazing. And he, he's these forceful defenses. And here's this, the elder board, you know, saying we believe we stand with Bill. And then, and then there are more accusations that come out. And, and now we're like, he was lying. He was absolutely lying. And if and if the the women in that scenario had not been initially given permission to tell their stories, right, we would n- have never come to that conclusion, right, right, right. So it seems to me, Betty, that that you're right. If the if if but if the solution is yes, we believe all women every time, never question their word. Um, that results in. That can result in overcorrecting in some really un- unhealthy ways, and, and I'm sure there are people advocating for that. I've seen, I've seen people saying, well, "Hey, if it costs a few men their reputation, then um, it, it still would be worth it." You know, to bring the correction that's needed. So I understand the concern, but but at the same time, I I I don't think that the status quo of how this subject's been approached is in any way, shape, or appropriate either. And so no question this was ugly, no question this was politicized, but I don't think there's any question that we can we can consistently stay in the same mode that we've been in as the church and as culture. I think women have to be elevated in ways that give them permission and safety to tell their stories, even if they make us uncomfortable, even if they... Um, even if they need to be sorted out and and ultimately result in, well, it's his word against her word. In those instances, um, uh, I don't think it's any longer acceptable just to believe automatically that the man's always telling the truth in the same way that you are advocating that we don't always believe that the woman is telling the truth. Fantastic. But the benefit of the doubt has been given to the man for so long that I think that needs corrected. And, uh, and, and certainly, um, in, in most cases where sexual assault is reported, it seems as though, um, you're not getting much out of that. (laughs) You know, you're not, you're not getting, uh, um, and I'm sure there are instances of false accusations. No question. Of course, women are capable of that. Of course, of course, of course. Um, but but it, it it seems like there isn't a great deal of motive in most cases where somebody comes forward and tells their story, like Nicole did, and for her mom to have said, "Hey, I'm really going to need you to prove this before I'm even going to take it seriously." I I think I think that would be a mistake. I think absolutely what what was needed there was what mom said. I believe you, I believe you, and let's walk this together. Like, I think that's possible. So I don't think the only solution to this is just simply saying every woman's telling the truth all the time any more than it's been that the guys are usually telling the truth and the women have reason to lie. I mean, I just don't, I, I think that whole thing has to go away. We have to start from entirely different footing, particularly in the church. Culture will do it culture's way. But in the church, there has to be 
I, and I think w- having more women in leadership will will help this. There has to be the safe place where someone is initially believed. Absolutely, and and I don't mean in a, in some trite sort of okay, honey, I, I I hear you, we support you, we love you. I don't mean in that kind of way. I mean like in a deeply like hey, no no no, this is super serious. We're going to take this seriously. We are so sorry. We're going to lament with you and walk with you and grieve with you, get you help and resources, and we're going to do whatever it is legally that we're supposed to do, but also in the church, we're a place of truth. We're the, we're a place where light shines in darkness. And, um, and so we're super interested in, um, in walking in truth and finding out what happened. I mean, I've been a part of situations where pastors have been accused of things. And in one case, it was, a, as best we could determine, it was a false accusation. And in another case, it was absolutely a true accusation. And, and so I've, I've seen I've seen both sides of this it, from again a, a, a male leadership point of view, which you know is part of the issue. But for me, Nicole opened my eyes to things that um, I'm just not sensitive to in culture. And so, yes, I, I of course worry that uh, my 15 year old son he needs to understand uh, the current climate that we are in. But but we've always talked about the fact that he he's to treat women as uh, image bearers, and, and sexuality is a great gift, and attraction is a great gift, and all those sorts of things. Um, but but consent, we just are, are about a bigger ethic than just consent, right? There's something bigger than that. And um, and so, uh, so, again, the church has this incredible opportunity to remedy what has been ignored for so very long that that many in the church have experienced sexual assault in the church or by people who go to church, and uh, and we just haven't done anything with that. So do you, do you feel like I answered the question? I do. The one thing um, you mentioned this word called a repentance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what does that look like in, in, in on both sides of this? Like what what would repentance? towards this whole yeah. crazy, terrible thing that's going on. What does that look like in the church? Oh, um, well, I, I can only answer for me. Uh, I right. can answer personally. Perfect. And then I can answer uh, at least for some some modest things in the church. So for me personally, um, it's certainly been an examination of my past in terms of how, how have I treated women? How have I seen them? How have I reacted to uh, church discipline situations or whatever, where you get accusations and counter accusations? Um, so there's been a deep kind of moral, like, oh, okay. So because I, I mean, for instance, I remember I was pastoring a church and and I was out with like the tech team and um, and our, one of our producers, a young lady was one of our producers, and the subject of anime came up. Do you know what anime is? Like yeah, cartoon, kind of, yeah, yeah. like something or other. Yep. And, and I asked the guys, I'm like, why in anime are, what, why is there so much emphasis on the breasts of women? Uh, and, 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 I, and, I, and I meant that in a very genuine, like, like, is there something significant about that? Because it's like one of the things that you notice. And, and this, this uh, young woman um, afterwards just said, Hey, I was really uncomfortable when you, uh, when you asked that question. And I was so grateful that she said something. So it's been like, it's been like those sorts of things, like becoming awake to those sorts of things 
um, that, that, you know, I didn't mean anything by, but I, looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, you're right. Why would I, why would I even ask that question? Right. You know, that was, that was, that was just stupid. It, it's, it's also listening to people like Nicole and giving them moral authority on some of these things. Um, yeah, I do think because you've survived it and because Nicole runs organizations and because she is somebody who has, uh, I do think she's an authority in ways I will never. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so, so yes, I defer to her expertise on some of these things. And I think that elevating, um, stories and women in the church community, that's part of my church answer is that there need to be women in leadership, absolutely the highest levels of leadership. So that when, and if these situations come up, it's not just a bunch of men who are arbitrating what it is that we ought to do here, right? I think that yeah. is super foolish. For me personally, it, it it means my daughter and I have different conversations. My son and I have different conversations. My wife and I have different conversations. Uh, it means the repentance, I think, means that we begin to um, wake up to the ways in which this has been a subtle thing or an overt thing for me the the subtle part is obviously the part i'm most concerned about i've 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 always tried to be very playful and very goofy and whatever else and i've i've just been wondering okay so you know what what were comments or what were jokes or what that i just wasn't even sensitive to that, uh, that yeah. i should have been absolutely sure. so yeah. so this to me part repentance looks like that mm-hmm. repentance looks like um listening to people like Nicole, listening to people like Dr. Ford and taking that seriously, not just saying, Oh, that's just a smear from the left. Right. You know, and going, maybe, but I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start there by saying, well, this, this seems true. This seems credible, right? The, the place I start is different now in repentance than the place I started five years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, the place I, I, the place I start now is I'm going to believe her. Um, until I have reason not to. The place I started before, unknowingly, was I'm going to believe him unless there's evidence otherwise. And so to me, that's shifted. Uh, and that's part of repentance. I think, uh, like I said, part of repentance is I, I think in the church, we have to talk about sexuality in ways that we never have talked about sexuality. You know what I mean? We have to get into gender stuff. We have to get into dating stuff. I mean, and I don't just mean like what's how far is too far stuff. I mean like what what do we mean by consent and what's that look like and how do you how do you have healthy relationships between genders uh that that don't become anti-sexualized, right? So they've been sexualized, no question about it, but how do you how do you get a bunch of people who who will still engage with each other um, because now, I mean, I'm, I'm reading of people who are just saying, well, I'm never going to be alone with a woman. Right. Right. I'm just Mike, never going to do Mike it. Pence, Billy Graham rule. Yeah. Yes. But even among non-Christian people yeah. saying, I'm not, I'm just never going to be alone with a woman. Because they're fearing the accusation or. Fearing... Yeah. Because they feel like they feel like so much cultural power has yeah. been given now to women. Right. That they could just make something up. And there's not, I mean, once you're accused of this, Right, it's not like you, you can be unaccused down the road. Right, right. So it's not like whether or not Kavanaugh was guilty or innocent. Right, the accusation now is going to stick with him forever, oh, forever, just the way it does with just the way it did with Clarence Thomas. Right. So I understand that the there, there's the fear there, but as the as the Christian community, we don't get we can't just punt to well, we'll just never let the genders be alone together. Right. That's that is 
horrific, and that's part of the reason why there's been so much sexual abuse in the church, right? We have to, we have to, we have to get messy in some of this stuff. So repentance for me is personal and it's professional in the sense of, um, were I to to lead or participate in a church again, there would be things I would do much differently around this issue and in terms of the conversations we'd have, having women teach and lead these conversations, having them in leadership, having a very set uh, uh, and agreed upon uh, policies about how we proceed in these issues, not just making it up as we go, um, uh, and, and doing our best to walk in truth and to walk in grace. And that, that um, it is possible for people to have have been sinned against and at some point forgive the person who has sinned against them. And it is also possible for the person who has sinned greatly and maliciously and violently and evilly against another person uh, to be transformed into something else. And so you've you've got to be a community of grace and truth, right? And so yeah. uh, and so it's just different now. And 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 I, and I think ultimately, you know, what Betty's saying is is absolutely valid concern. And of course, some people are going to overcorrect, but 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 undercorrecting is the worst option, <laughs> in my view, right? Undercorrecting means well, we're just going to keep things the way they are, or we're just going to keep the genders apart, you know, or, or when you go on a date, make sure you hit voice recorder, um, so that you're recording everything. So if anyone, you know, accuses you of something, you have evidence against it. I mean, that's not a way Mm -hmm. to live. That's not what health looks like. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, so it's a a big topic. It's uh, Oh, good Lord. It is. And, And I feel so stupid. I mean, it doesn't stop me from talking about it, but I feel so stupid talking about it because I'm sure I'm saying things that, you know, aren't accurate or, or aren't as helpful as I would want them to be or whatever. But, but we have, we have to have a conversation somewhere along the line. Right. I mean, so I'll blunder around in ignorance for a while. I think the conversations are good though. I mean, because I I think secular church, whatever the the needle is moving forward, the ball is moving forward. I mean, I'm a big LinkedIn guy. Right. And so there's all these posts, (laughs) coming out about hold on hold no, on what the, people this, really use that oh uh, i do i always get invites from people that i automatically delete yeah, it's like it's a it's a very great business world tool yeah so okay you're a great business world tool absolutely as well. but my point is that uh in business uh it's now it's interesting but it's becoming the the the, the press release when a woman gets promoted to a c-level position so this What's goes a out c-level uh ceo cfo cmo oh, okay. cmo okay. got it and uh, but it's neat to see that happening in diversity too, not just not just a woman, but but putting people uh, of different ethnic backgrounds in those positions. And it'll be what what I what will be exciting moving forward is if the church follows in the same the same way that business is, yeah, uh, of doing the same. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. Oh yeah, but, but no, no, I hope, it is I hope happening. It does. Yeah, no, yeah. it is so, happening. Absolutely, uh, the future. But, but this whole movement, I think, has propelled us as white men to wake up and say, wait a second. Yeah. Oh my goodness. In all the different um, um, issues surrounding this. So it's, it's, it's terrible, but at the same time to move forward through repentance, um, it'll be neat to see how that, how that does move forward in a positive way. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and I think, I think the future of the church 
Um, and I mean, capital C, like across the globe, right. it's not white men, baby. Right. So, um, so for those of us who are in positions of platform voice or leadership, you know, I think our job at this point is to begin to empower, um, other voices. And again, I mean, obviously you, you measure them all. If you're a Jesus follower by whether or not, um, they are reflecting the beauty and the magnificence of Jesus, right? I mean, we're not just talking about for the sake of, you know, being woke. Uh, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this for the sake of being woke. No, no, no. As an act of repentance for the ways in which I have, in in a couple of instances, participated in churches that did not allow women in eldership. Right. I will now be an advocate theologically and practically for women in eldership. Absolutely. But it's not just because of wokeness. It's for me, it's because of repentance. Like I've deeply, I'm deeply convinced the scripture has been misunderstood in these ways and has done great harm. Um, and um, so so for me, this isn't about woke or not woke. And I don't I don't mean like the future of the church isn't white men in the sense of um, you know, we're we're now still a be, place. Yeah, there's still a place. But there's been a monopoly theologically. There's been a Correct. monopoly in seminaries. There's been a monopoly in leadership, and and I I for one celebrate that that monopoly is being broken. It is con- it, you're seeing the convulsions. You're seeing awfulness. Um, of course, of course, of course. But um, at the end of the day, I do think there's something good and healthy. Yeah, that, and it's happening across every segment of of both the market, church, and that. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, all right, next question. Obviously, we cannot take as much time, but Betty deserved a great deal of response because Absolutely. the issues were so great that she was bringing up. Okay, my question is, what are your thoughts on church altar calls? Now, an altar call is, if you're not familiar with that term, so so the church kind of has this central, it's like sometimes they'll call it the pulpit, um, or the platform, or in the old days, they would call it an altar, this place where you could come up and like, it's in front of everybody. It's right in the center of everything. And an altar call was when you would invite people to come forward, like to walk down to the altar to do business with God. So it could be like receive salvation. It could be like be baptized. It could be like repent of the sin. And, and then altar call became also something that you would do metaphorically, Whenever you would invite people to come to Jesus in a corporate setting. So if somebody like closed their eyes and raised their hands, um, you know, to say, yes, I prayed to receive Jesus, that was called an altar call too. So it's it's any time in a corporate setting, you're having somebody do something, pray a prayer, stand up, raise their hand, come forward. That is all altar call stuff. So what is your thought? What are your thoughts on church altar calls? I recently read an article entitled, Has Tony Robbins Preached at My Church? And Tony Robbins, of course, is this motivational guru that's been, been around for years. He has big hands, and he has, he has a very large smile. Like, he's a big guy. Absolutely. Right? And so— His presence is He, he has presence. He has presence. Um, it's, uh, so he, re- he, um, he read this article. He says, it's not a great article, but got me thinking after watching the Tony Robbins documentary on Netflix, I felt like the article had a point. Church has become such a production and altar calls even more. Um, I never heard a typical raise your hand and we will pray the sinner's prayer altar call from you. So what are your thoughts on this? Is there a reason you don't do them? Now the article 
you being Mike. You being Marie. Mike. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And the article, I so I went back and read the article. And and so here's here's a section of the article I think that's relevant for, for his question. We live in an increasingly skeptical and suspicious culture. Tony Robbins' language, he often uses taboo words, which I guess are like cussing words, to cut to people's core. And his lack of specific religious uh, references may leave some Christian viewers worried about the sorts of psychological and emotional power one person can hold over another. All right. Uh, yet that is precisely why Christians should take notice. Turn down the volume of uh, the documentary in places or his events in places, especially in a close your eyes visualization session, and the structure and techniques look a lot like church. Eventually, the film may present thoughtful Christians with uncomfortable but important questions. Is church something more than technique? Can discerning Christians still tell the difference between the moving of the Spirit and the manipulations of mass psychology? Do hurting people really care which it is? If false prophets are known by their fruit, does the testimony of those who've been helped by Robbins ultimately count for more than the labels we use to describe his work? What is the hurting world around us not getting from churches, Christian neighbors, or families that makes a $5,000 seminar seem like their last best chance for healing? Oh, man. Oh, man. This this is rant-worthy, right? I mean, this is like— Careful. Wow. Careful. Well— Put on your seatbelts, folks. No, no, no. I mean, it's <laughs> it's like—but but isn't that—like, I've done the motivational, like— I mean, I'm a high energy speaker and, and, you know, I I've seen music used and lighting used and, and sound cues and, and, you know, lowering my voice when you're making a big point. And, and all of that is, is powerful in, in like becoming an effective communicator. Yeah. And you are fantastic at it. So well, this is a great question I well, think, for you to answer. Well, Kevin, that's why you're here. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for that yeah. affirmation. Um, so, so I've, I've often wondered that too. I mean, I've secretly wondered, Hey, does like, is, is, is this just like, cause people would say, yeah, Jesus really showed up. And what they mean by that is we had this kind of overwhelming experience together. Our hands were all raised and we're singing and it was emotionally moving. Right. Well, I've had those experiences at Pearl Jam concerts too. Right. And, and or I've been moved by people who aren't Christians and who have given incredible lectures that move me to tears and make me consider the way that I'm living. And so my answer is I always think it's both. You cannot deny that, of course, church services and motivational seminars have a lot in common. <laughs> now, by church services, I usually mean the larger churches. I don't mean your mom and pop's church down the road or the denominational church down the road. A lot of those are into the fog machines and the high energy big, big and whatever. Yeah, big, big production, production values. Yeah. Yep. So, so of course, of course, there's some commonality there. The excitement, the movement, the engagement. I mean, yes, of course. But I've also seen, <laughs> as God is just amazing at, him using all of this crazy stuff to actually reach people. So, like, I used to do altar calls in the, in the sense that he's he's meaning, like, like, stand up. If you want to accept Jesus, stand up right now. Or if here's the prayer, if you want to pray the prayer, raise your hand, you know, and, and giddy up. And, and I always felt, I always felt dumb doing them, doing those things. Why? I, well, they felt false. They felt hokey. They felt like 
you were trying to manufacture something no, or looking I didn't, for I wasn't, numbers? No, or? no, it wasn't that. Why false? Because it just didn't feel natural. It just didn't feel like, like, um, you would think if this whole Jesus thing were true, people would be really excited about it, <laughs> you know. And, and instead, you had to like, you know, you had to, you had to do this whole thing and and invite people to do it. And I always felt pressure, like somehow it was up to me. What if the people raising their hands did feel excitement? Like you can't, you don't know that, right? No, they, you don't. They didn't. But 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 here's the thing. So I yeah, for whatever reason, I always felt mixed about it. But the thing that God kept bringing up uh, is that I would run across people who had sincerely in those moments, like surrendered their lives to Jesus. Right. right? And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, so I like, I had a, I was at a college retreat a couple of weeks ago and I met a kid, um, a kid, a student who a couple of years ago, I spoke at a big conference and he's like, man, I stood up and I accepted Jesus and here I am. And my life has been completely changed. And you're like, Okay. I can't argue with that. My discomfort with altar calls wasn't just personal because, because I never knew if it were, a, if it was a trustworthy thing or if it was just, you know, whatever it would, but, but my, my, my um, discomfort with them these days is much more theological in the following respect. I do think that um, raising your hand or praying a prayer and you know, inviting Jesus into your heart. I mean, all that's fine. And of course, God uses it. He keeps reminding me that he uses it. But to me, that's not exactly the response um, that Jesus himself invited and modeled um, or his disciples originally. And I think that often the altar call is a very small response to a very small slice of the message of Jesus. So typically an altar call is something like, hey, you are a sinner. Uh, you have sinned. You have a sin nature. You are fallen. Uh, Jesus was put forward as the sacrifice for those sins. Um, the Father's justice needed to be appeased. Jesus is put forward as the sacrifice for those sins so that you can now be forgiven and have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so the response is that you would pray a prayer inviting Jesus into your heart. Now, I I have an issue with with both of those, the the gospel message and the response. It's not that that's not true. I just don't think it's in any way, shape, or form the fullness of what we're being invited into or the fullness of what it requires of us. Like, it is possible for you to pray a prayer, raise your hand, and have nothing to do with Jesus the rest of your life, yet be convinced by church culture that you have been saved. So we're actually lying to you, right? And it's very, it's very true that the that one of the very few ways that churches can justify their existence is by counting numbers. So we count attendance, we count offering, we count you know building budgets and buildings and staff people, and we count quote conversions. We will, we don't know whether or not you sincerely accepted Jesus, but to the but when we're trying to raise money, we are going to count you. Right, so so there you've got some mixed motives, I think, uh, floating around in all of that. I just think uh, the reason I, I I try not to do them, and if I do do them, I do them very differently these days, is that the gospel isn't 
just about my personal forgiveness and Jesus being Lord of my heart. I don't even know what being Lord of my heart would actually mean. I have no idea what that means. All I know is that Jesus' words are all public words. Faith is an action word. It's a public word. Uh, Love is an action word. It's a public word. Trust is a public word. Having this personal relationship with Jesus in my heart, that language is not used in the New Testament, right? So yes, Paul uses all kinds of different metaphors to describe it. Like we were alienated from God, now we're reconciled, right? We were orphaned and we were without a people, but now we have a people, right? been brought into community. So we've gone from alienation to family. Um, You know, he uses guilt uh, as a picture, right? And then justification as the response. But but the, the gospel that Paul preaches and that Jesus himself preached isn't an individual slice of me getting forgiveness. It's rather God created the world and everything in it to be good. The world has been tainted through darkness. God has visited planet earth in the form of Jesus of Nazareth to install and inaugurate his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And that the people who are compelled by this vision of what life is like under God's rule can say yes to Jesus and demonstrate that yes through something called repentance, which is a change of life and a change of of the way you orient towards yourself, towards the world, towards neighbor, towards God. And, um, And that is a very public thing. That's not something you just do in a private corner when you pray a private prayer. And so the the analogy, the only analogy I have found helpful, I'm sure there are other ones, but it's like a wedding. Like Like I loved my wife before I married her, right? We were in relationship before I married her, but there was something about the public declaration that we were saying now to the world, everyone else is off limits, right? Like, like you are the one. Um, There's something about that moment. And so, uh, to me, in the scriptures, that was baptism, right? That was baptism. Baptism was your wedding sort of vow moment. And um, and so all of our Baptists are saying amen. But but so, so I don't do altar calls in the same way anymore just because, A, I don't preach the gospel in the same way anymore. Um, I try to preach a much fuller gospel. And then secondly, the how I invite people into it, it has to be much more rigorous than just pray a prayer in your heart and you're set. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I uh, understand what you're saying. <laughs> For sure. Whoa, 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 whoa. So can God use those moments? Of course he can. And he does and he has. No question about it. I'm just not comfortable personally presenting the gospel in that way. Okay. Like I think there are times and I think there would be cultures where justification would be the primary picture. But people aren't today in, super in touch with guilt right? It's not, I mean, I think we're in touch with shame. So I think shame is a powerful uh, approach, but you know, this whole Kirk Cameron, Ray Comfort, like, let's go through the 10 commandments. Let me convince you you're a sinner. I think we all know we're broken. I think we all know we're toxic. I think we all know we're flawed. Um, I don't know that we all use Christian words to describe those things, but we don't walk around with this, with this incredible awareness of, of the wrath of God against us because we're sinners. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I think like, like spelling out the gospel that way. And, and, and I think what people forget is Paul framed the gospel differently depending on who he was talking to. Like there isn't just one way to preach this, right? And so, so for me, um, the reason I don't do the classic altar calls anymore, A, I just think the response needs to be different. And B, I just think the gospel itself needs to be portrayed in a different manner.
in a much bigger manner. And that doesn't mean, of course, of course, God uses it. And of course, if you're out there and you're like, dude, I'm sharing my faith and I'm sharing my faith using the steps to God uh, pamphlet or the bridge illustration or whatever. Great. How, fa- fantastic. Keep sharing. I just, I want to make sure that I'm not lulling people into a false sense of security by saying, hey, if you pray to prayer, you're in. Nor do I want to be the kind of person that counts, that only counts the raising of the hands as steps towards faith. Right. You but I mean? for all of those people listening, there's got to be tons that have heard you speak at conferences, lots that probably have raised their hands. You're not discounting that moment for them no. either. No, of course not. Right. No, because I've seen I've seen it work. I've seen it stick. I've seen it be a real right moment. Just, Absolutely, just like the student at, at a couple weeks ago at this event you were yes, at. Yes, came up exactly. Like, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it's and I mean, I was just I spoke at another um, event this past weekend and I had a couple people come up from years ago and say, "Yeah, you gave this thing and it was really impactful." And you're like, obviously, I get I don't get credit for that. I mean, that's Jesus doing Jesus stuff. Uh, but, and so, no, I'm not denigrating that at all. He's just asking, how come you don't do altar calls or he hasn't seen me do them? And I'm saying, well, because I, I I just don't, I, I think there are other ways. And what I mean is, I don't mean they're like, you shouldn't do altar calls. I just mean, if you're going to invite someone to follow Jesus, I want to make sure they understand the bigger, broader story they're being invited into and that that demands a bigger, broader response. You know what I mean? Oh, it totally makes sense. So that's all I'm that's all I'm trying to get at. So yeah. so do I still do altar calls? Well, if by altar call you mean do I encourage people to follow Jesus? Yes. Hopefully I do them all the time. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan. I think following Jesus is the way to go. If by that you mean the classic like let's play just as I am 80 times until someone comes forward cuz doggone it we cannot leave until someone comes forward. No, I don't do that. I don't for think reasons we've just talked. You've ever done that, but no. I mean, that's a that's a whole different thing. I think that the, the the thing in this conversation is, isn't it amazing how God can move and God can work in in any situation, despite us oh my or in spite of, or, and that and that's or, and that's what's that's what's so interesting is God God can work even oh in the midst goodness. of our. If He our, can use an ass like me, right? Whoa. I I cannot. Well, it's true. I mean, I cannot ever. Uh, ever say that God can't use anything yes. else, right? Because right. I I know I'm the darkness in my heart, mm-hmm. and um, so absolutely. But I do think there are ways uh, com- conversing about Jesus that are more helpful than other ways, right? And that's and, what I would take and, from this and conversation. Don't, and don't compromise potentially some of our witness, like like when I go to Ohio State games, there there there's the row of people who are preaching on the street right. corners. And you're like, okay, is it possible that that someone could come to faith, genuine faith in Christ? Um, through that, of course it's possible. But it, it also, is it also possible that that hundreds, if not thousands of people are being turned off to the message of Jesus because of the ways in which you're engaging with them? Correct. So so Paul's very clear. His his intention when he gives instructions often in household codes or whatever was that you would make the gospel of Jesus attractive. Uh, and not that it's not by itself, but we can certainly take away from it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, no question about it. Now, the danger is, is in trying to add to it too, right? We want to, here's Jesus in some Ginsu knives. Here's Jesus in a free iPad if you come to our church. I mean, we don't, we don't want to be those people. Or even just the get out of jail free card in a right. sense. Hey, right. you prayed this prayer. Yep, you're good. No more, you know, you got your ear in heaven. Yeah. You know? I mean, yep. Congratulations. Simple, yeah. Right. You raised your hand. Boom, and, done. Yes. And you're like, ah, that's not true either. It just seems so simple. Right. Right, and I think faith is, and yeah. I think salvation is correct. But I, but I don't think it's. But you're talking about this much bigger, yes, story. Yes, being invited into. Yes. All right. Well, you've thoroughly answered the question on why you do not do altar calls anymore. <laughs> this, well, the same way. I don't. The do same way. The same way. Yeah. If altar call means invite people to follow Jesus, I hope I do it all the time. Right. Because I, I, I mean, I'm in still, the way that he was yes. comparing and contrasting Tony Robbins, the Tony to Robbins the, way. To yes. Hopefully, we don't do that way anymore. Right. Um, so excellent, man. Excellent questions. Great feedback. Doggone it. This is so fun. Um, and and on some of these, of course, we just I feel so over my head. And um, but we feel like this is stuff worth talking about. So um uh I, and and let me just say add this one last thing before we go. There are some people who have given feedback who are like, man, I just wish you'd get back to like doing the Bible stuff and 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 I and and totally, man, I get that, and I don't, I want that too, but but I also feel like our world is having these defining moment conversations, and you know, so I feel like Betty is reading some of what I'm doing through, like I'm not a fan of Trump. The issue, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of of President Obama either. I mean, I, I obviously I like the dignity and the class and the marriage and family he brought to the thing. Right. Uh, but there were some the decisions he made that personally and politically I would I felt I felt were very wrongheaded. But my tribe was bashing Obama all the time. So I want I wanted to be a counter voice that was saying, well, he's not the Antichrist, and we can affirm what he does well, right? My tribe, at least a lot of my tribe, initially um, fell in love with with President Trump, and and my tribe is the conservative evangelical tribe, and so I I was like, no, there have to be counter voices because there's this great this great heret- heresy that says that um, Christian to be a Christian just means to be uh, politically conservative. And that is that is awful. That is awful. In the same way, if you mean that being a Christian means you're just politically liberal. No, 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 no. To, to, to follow Jesus, Jesus is, he has our allegiance. There's no other polis than that one. Of course, we participate in, the, in, the, in what's happening around us and the culture around us, but that's not our primary motivation. That doesn't consume our primary energy. Uh, or thought, what we're doing is is worried about the kingdom of God and its availability to all people across all political affiliations imaginable, right? So, so we don't make the gospel political. The gospel is already political, but it's political in a way that's way different than the left and the right sort of politics that Americans are familiar with. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, so the 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 way in which I want to engage topics like this is as somebody who's a missionary trying to figure out how to best uh, proclaim Jesus in the world that we live in. It's not to be political or to or to somehow say because I don't like Trump, I take these views. 
I think Trump, I, I think there are some things that Trump has done well in the same way there were some things I thought Obama did well. And I think there are some things that Trump did poorly. Do I respect President Trump as a person? Do I think he is a model Jesus follower? Do I think it's mistaken to declare him God's candidate? I certainly do. No question about it. But I know so many people who love Jesus and support him that the last thing I'm ever going to want to do is to say, you can't, you can't love Jesus and support President Trump. I'm not going to say that at all. I would be guilty of the same thing then that, that we're trying to avoid in all other directions. For me, though, I think there does have to be a, a much greater discerning process than there has been from the evangelicals. Uh, at least according to some statistics, you have evangelicals who are the ones who most support torture. You have evangelicals who are the ones who um, are against gun control. You have evangelicals who are known for their political positions, um, and their political positions don't always reflect the reality and the beauty of Jesus. So you either have two choices. You can either forsake Jesus and say, hey, evangelical just means a political voting block, or you can say my political opinions about how the world should be run are separate from my allegiance to Jesus. I don't think either either of those is a good option. I think you've got to engage entirely differently. And so what we're trying to model is we're trying to model how it is that some of these conversations can be had. Even if I thought President Trump was doing a great job, I would still be concerned with uh, people giving uncritical support in the name of Jesus to any president ever. Right? So that we're saying to the world, my faith in Jesus compels me to declare that Christians ought to vote for this person. No, there is no Christian candidate. There, no, that's not how this works. And we've done a whole series on Jesus and politics. So that's all I have to say about that. Kevin, any last words? I just, in, in response to that question, it seemed like you're getting feedback or people are saying like, where, where is, are you going to stay on topics? Or are you going to kind of go back and forth between some, some Bible teaching and, and current topics? Where, where are you going? I don't know. You don't know? I mean, we, yeah, there's no master, there's no master topic plan out give, there. I was trying to give the people just a little bit of, a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of marketing, you know? Yeah. Cause no, that's, that's good. I don't, I don't have any idea. It, it's changed mm-hmm. so much from when we started. And, and I, I get why some people would be disappointed with that. No question. Absolutely. Like, just stick to the Bible, Erie. Come on, man. You do it's that. It's not well. like we're veering off of the Bible. Well, but, but not, but but what's leading our conversations? Right. Culture is right, absolutely. What's happening in the world is leading our conversations, right. and there's so much talk about it that I can see where people will just get tired of it. It's like, okay, can we talk about something else? Like, I, I want my conversation elevated above just you know talking more politics, talking right. more Kavanaugh. So I get that. I get that. I just I'm just trying to give a, a bit of thinking behind why we've evolved in this way to, to, um, because, because, and, and again, maybe I am naive. Uh, I don't want opinions discounted simply because I would either be a fan of Trump or not a fan of Trump. We're, we're not, I'm trying not to operate in the fan of Trump or non-fan of Trump arena. I'm trying to operate like in a, in a different sphere saying, well, because I'm a citizen of the kingdom, I don't have as much invested in who the Supreme Court justices are. I think the, the movement of God is independent of all of those things. Right. Now, that doesn't mean they're all equal, and it doesn't mean I don't have opinions, and it doesn't mean I shouldn't be engaged, but there's an anger and a fervency and a hatred and a divisiveness going on among Jesus' people around politics that is no place 
in our practices about politics, right? We're actually hurting the cause of Jesus by how we're engaging politically. So some would say the answer is, well, just don't engage politically. And I'm not sure that's the answer. Some would say the answer is, okay, well, then we'll just preach the gospel and and we'll save souls. And who cares about the sinking ship of American culture? And I don't see that as, as Jesus either. But I do see Jesus being political, but in an entirely different way than what politics is normally understood to be. So that's what I'm going for. Doggone it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. Until next time, brothers and sisters, thanks. Thanks.